Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Begotten, a five-part audio drama brought to you by Manila Theatre. Part one. Alice. I'm on my way to tell him. Tonight. I'm on the bus, passing through a tunnel, and the yellow lights flickering in through the windows make me think of a zoetrope I saw at some museum when I was seven. I peeked through the slots in the card, and my dad told me this was how film began. All the blockbusters, all the chick flicks, the westerns, the Oscar winners, the C-grade crap in the bottom of the clearance bin. It all started here. I remember it spinning, and the horse and the jockey jumping over and over again over the jumps. And then my seven-year-old brain got bored or curious and wanted to know if the horse and the jockey could be made to jump backwards over the jumps. They could. But then... The attendant at the museum, who had the sourest face I'd ever seen, and still heads that list to this day, told me to please stop touching the exhibits. And I wandered off to look at something else. I left some chewing gum under a table when she wasn't looking. Now, sitting on the bus, I'm looking out the windows and noticing how grimy they are. And I'm having another memory. I'm seven still, or possibly eight, and I'm looking out another bus window on an excursion with my class to some place not interesting enough to be remembered. But I hear the noise of it so clearly, shouting, taunting, someone crying, and the girls somewhere in the back clapping their hands together and chanting something about gypsies and angry mothers. Who knows? And one of my little hands is pressed up on the window, the sausagey fingers all bunchy and wrinkled, with dirt around the edges of the nails. And I notice the emergency exit instructions and the little red hammer. And I remember wondering so clearly, even at eight years old this was an articulate thought, wondering if it had to be a fire or whether any kind of emergency was enough to let you break the glass. Like, if the two girls in the seat in front kept twisting around and staring at me over the metal bar, whispering behind their hands with their eyes all intent, mimicking even the tiniest of my gestures in this kind of grotesque caricature. If that kept happening, and if the waterfall that that caused in the centre of my gut kept pouring, kept burrowing deeper and colder inside the chasmy middle of me until I thought it would freeze over and I'd be nothing but a cobweb of icicles in a moment and start cracking from the centre right to the ends of my fingers and toes and the strands of my hair. If that happened, 
would I be allowed to take that little red hammer and break the window and jump out and roll onto the grass? A little busted, sure, but not entirely broken. Would the grown-ups say they understood? Or would I find myself in the principal's office, still staring at my bunchy, wrinkled little fingers with the dirt around the edges of the nails? I want to tell him everything, even the stuff that hurts like hell. How I stole a Cadbury Easter bunny from the shop one year because mum said I couldn't have one, even though she'd bought two for herself. That I was so scared of being caught that I ate it all in one go, in the broom cupboard under the stairs, in the middle of the night, and then was so sick from the chocolate and the shame that I threw it all up. And mum woke up to find me sobbing beside the bath, and kept me home from school and held me in the rocking chair all day, humming songs and stroking my hair, never even imagining it was the Easter Bunny that did it. And how that was the most I had ever liked her, and ever would. I want to tell him how, ten days before I met him, I'd terminated a fetus at nine weeks. I'd known about it from about the six-week mark, and at first I was freaked and bit the head off my nice lady doctor, as if it was her fault I'd forgotten to take my pill. But then, later, I was lying in bed and I had this vision of me, but like a better version of me. Someone who was calm and together and moved with this kind of soft pink light around her. And holding her hand was this little kid. First a boy, later a girl. And they were walking along together, almost skipping if you can bear the thought of it. And even though I had no idea where they were going, I could just tell they were both having the nicest day of their lives. There was cake involved. I'm not sure how I knew that, but I liked the thought of it. I watched that vision play on repeat for a couple of nights, letting its soft pink lightness lull me to sleep. But then I woke up and decided I couldn't do it. I couldn't be that because I wasn't calm and together and no mother in her right mind would trust me to hold her kid's hand and take them for cake. I was born with something broken inside me. And I don't say that to get your sympathy or for you to tell me that I'm wrong. I know what I am and I know that something in my fabric is deeply fucked even though I don't know why. My temper's too short and I break down like it's a hobby and the thought of being that responsible for any other living thing that much of the time just turned me to... I don't know... flame. I was some wobbly blob of jelly in the shape of a person melting down to crystal goo in the middle of a fire. And so I did what I thought was the most responsible thing at the time. Because nobody can stay in your life permanently, you know? We're all ultimately alone, and to try and build some forced bond with another human being and promise you'll never break it and you'll never let them down is just foolishness of the highest order. It's asking to become an eternal failure in someone else's eyes. But then I met him, and suddenly all of that changed. How is that possible? 
How in the space of a month or two or five can you go from knowing you're a soul agent in this life to actually, genuinely, stupidly believing that here is a man you could love forever? Some guy you met on a lousy, boozy night out with lousy, boozy friends. Someone who thinks music peaked in the 80s and fist pumps at karaoke not to be funny, but because he's really, really feeling it. And it's not even so much finding that you could love a guy like that. That's not what floors you. It's realizing how much you want to. I think about his bed sheets. That's always where my mind goes first. How they're brown and kind of smelly, but in a nice way. And corduroy. Who has corduroy bedsheets? I think about how his feet pop out the end of them, with their big toenails and the tufts of hair where the knuckles would be if they were fingers. Sort of cute baby ogre feet. I think about his beard, the scraggliness of it, and how I never pictured myself being with a beardy man, and how I still don't really like beards, except for his. I think about the little flabby roll on his tummy, and how embarrassed he is by it. And how he says he's going to run for half an hour before breakfast every day so that I don't have to keep feeling the squish of it when we're in bed together. And what I want to say is, don't you dare run that role off. That role is sacred and sexy and it is fucking mine. I don't know why I never tell him that. When he grumbles his way out of bed at 6am and puts on his Hogwarts t-shirt and his joggers and shuffles out the door like he was on his way to be shot. I should tell him. But I don't. I think about the brown bed sheets and the beard and the roll, and I get this feeling of desire like I've never experienced before. Not like fuck me desire, we covered that ground early on and I've gotten some good mileage on it since. It's this deep thing, this yellow burning thing. Like I'm being pulled into a foreverness in that place and there's nothing scary about it because it's right and it's mine and it's been waiting for me since the beginning of time. Or pff, some shit like that. That's what I want to tell him. But I can't stop there because there's something more. There's the knowing what I chose 10 days before I met him. Because of how that possibility felt, how scary and impossible and profoundly not me. And then the turn. No, the suddenness of the turn and the completeness of it and the fact that I could feel that different, change that much when there was more than my life on the line and having no fucking clue when things might turn again. That knowledge slices through me like a blade. And it is sheer enough and hot enough that it just might cut the sheets and the beard and the roll clean away. I've thought a lot about what it must feel like to die. Of course, I can't know, not really, but I've watched the faces of actors on TV very hard when they're being killed and I don't think it's what we think it is. If you're on your back on the ground and Arya Stark runs her needle through your neck, I don't think it's pain that you feel. I think it's just shock. The shock of the novelty of what's happening to you. The shock of realizing another human being has actually had the balls to do this to you. I think you're so busy processing all of this newness that there's no time for pain. 
And maybe there's some kindness in that. It's just a thing that is happening to you. And then nothing is happening. The bus is almost there now. I'm going through the motions in my head. Walk down aisle, touch off, navigate footpath. Straight, left, via right, eight houses, right again. The second apartment block. The concrete stairs starting to crumble. The rusty handrail with the peeling paint. The brass number four. Him at the stove, smiling at me through the screen door. Wearing his dad's hand-me-down Rick Astley t-shirt without a hint of irony. His favourite music playing in the corner. His board games. His books. His complete unawareness that anything could be wrong. I met a girl once who said she could see in senses, but not regular senses. Numbers were colours, certain words had smells attached to them. Like, not in the abstract, but if you said the word to her, she would literally smell something. I was up all night on Google trying to call her on her bullshit. But the thing is, I wanted to believe it. Not for her, I, I don't really give a fuck about her. I wanted it to be true for me. Because it seemed a little bit like magic. And God knows how much little seven or eight-year-old squidgy-fingered little me wanted to be magic. Or no magic. At least a couple of magic words. The bus is pulling to a stop. The footpath. The stairs. The door. I don't know any magic, but... I'll tell him... His sheets aren't brown, they're red. Not angry red, soft, sticky, safe red. I'll tell him his beard isn't a bunch of wiry brown little hairs. It's green, with pink polka dots. It's popcorn flavored. It's a day where you have so much fun running around you don't even mind the blisters at the end of it. I'll tell him his role isn't skin or fat. It's a big blue ocean. It's a Mariana Trench without the scary looking fish. It's the one deep dive I'd do without an air tank. Because who cares if I run out of oxygen while I'm down there scouting for pearls. I'll just be there, dappled in the shadow and the sparkle checking out the coral vines I'm twisting through my fingers and feeling something a little bit like Marvel. It'll just be a thing that's happening to me. Until it's not. You have been listening to part one of Begotten, a five-part radio drama presented by Manola Theatre. Manola Theatre is a production and training company based in Brisbane, Australia. Begotten was reimagined as an audio drama in response to the nationwide closure of theatres and performing arts spaces. If you would like to hear more right now, you can access Begotten in full from manolatheatre.com.au and support the creators via the Pay What You Like option on their website. Begotten was written and performed by Bianca Butler-Reynolds and directed by Kat Decker, with post-production sound by Siobhan Finnis. The producers thank Calvin Baker and Jim Reynolds for their production assistance 
And that's not Canon Productions for their support. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.